Israelian presence. The purpose of the Yoga of Radiant Presence is to discover directly and self-verifyingly the answer to that question. Everyone knows Radiant Presence. It's impossible to know anything else whatsoever. This is Radiant Presence. Radiant Presence is absolute normalcy. And yet, Radiant Presence is inconceivably transcendental and sacred. <clears throat> Radiant Presence is very strange, um, which is why spirituality is not as self-evident as one might expect. If this is Radiant Presence, and everyone knows Radiant Presence, then why bother? Well, in a, in a profound sense, that's a very good question. Why bother? Who gives a shit? This is it. <laughs> However, there are some of us who answer that question by saying, I really want to get to the bottom of this. I really want to know and understand this as intimately as is possible. And for those of us who, who I assume might include you all, since you're bothered to be here, <laughs> then this yoga addresses that issue. <coughs> there is nothing here but radiant presence. There is no building here. There are no people here. There are no chairs here. There's no personality here. There's no mind here. None of these things are actually here. It looks like they're here. And of course, we're all very familiar with that. Um, but this apparition of all of this inconceivable detail of things, of conditions, of specific entities is not what you're used to taking it as. <coughs> and coming to see the way in which that's so is the process of yoga and definitively, self-verifyingly, see, see the way that that's so, is realization, or liberation, or what, whatever you want to call it. Of course, what you call it is not particularly important. <clears throat> radiant presence is not radiant presence. That's just a phrase I made up to try to convey the essence of it um, in a succinct fashion. All sorts of religious traditions have all sorts of sophisticated terminology that they have created to address these things, most of which have all sorts of, to me, very misleading implication and, and confusing, um, confusing uh, innuendo. <coughs> in Buddhism, it's called, Radiant Presence is called the three bodies of Buddha. And Advaita is called the Atman. 
know what they call it, Christianity, probably the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Um, in Kashmir Shaivism, it's Shiva Shakti, or the Tatras. <coughs> and all of that implies, for people that have studied all of these religious traditions, or any of these religious traditions, there's an incredible backlog of innuendo and boilerplate and philosophy splitting hairs about this, that, and the other details of these supposed different principles, none of which are necessarily particularly clarifying or particularly cut to the quick of exactly what this is so that one can see it. It's actually very, very, very simple. Uh, it's very simplicity is part of why it's so difficult to recognize. Because we're so caught up in our complexity, we're so caught up in our complex narratives and our complex analyses of what we are and what's happening, that the absolute stark simplicity of this that is here as it is um, seems too good to be true. It seems too simple. It couldn't be that. So what is it? It's radiant presence. But what is presence? Presence is completely obvious. Right? Presence? My hand is present. Right? You're present. The light is present. The air conditioning is present. The sound is present. And most people would stop there. But if you look at it more closely, you'll discover that presence does not inhere in objects. Objects inhere in presence. If you look at your experience, you will find your experience is a continuum of presence. And there's all of these various objects appearing, or condi experiential conditions appearing, uh, that are all present as they appear. But the presence doesn't gain when more objects appear, and the presence doesn't diminish when fewer objects appear. The presence is an is a absolute constant, presence. You could, you could just call it being, but that sounds very abstract, being, you know, it's like, well, okay, being. But it's much, it's much more intimate than that, it's much more first person. This is the presence of your experience. Just this that is right here, this presence. I mean, it's not, it's completely obvious, it's not even subtle. This presence, right? You know, you, presence? Anyone here, anyone here not in the loop? Anyone here that's like, present? What, what presence? I never see any presence. I mean, right, presence? So this presence, this obvious presence, this, this presence is the absolute principle. And it does not inhere in the things that seem to be present, as I've said, it is that within which all phenomena seemingly occur. <coughs> so presence is a very, very powerful key to the practical aspects of this yoga. Because presence is completely obvious, completely accessible. Check out presence, tune into presence. Notice presence and 
right away you will experience uh, a shift, a profound shift in orientation. You may not recognize it as profound, but that's not important. Just experiencing presence rather than what is present, which is the normal human mode. You know, what's going on? Who's here? What's happening? You know, where's it at? What's, what's, the, what's the buzz? What have you been doing? All that is all what's been appearing, all the, the apparitions that humans are used to focusing on. All of which is fine, and we'll get to that. It's not a matter of like, oh, that's evil or wrong, but it's just that it's remedial attention. Typically, we're so used to attending to the characteristics and the qualities and the apparent things that are present, and we, we just take for granted, well, of course they're present. This is present. Of course it's present. Yeah. Whereas, in actual fact, it's the other way around. The presence is where the action is. The presence is what is powerful. The presence is what is revelatory and transforming. <coughs> so this is a, 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 very, a very powerful, a very primal key to this yoga. Now, thank you. Now, an interesting thing about this presence is it never shows up naked. It never shows up plain vanilla. It always shows up as some apparent qualities that are present. Now, these qualities may be unqualifiable. They may not be qualities you have language for. They may be subtle vibes or moods or just the, the very the, the sketchiest wisps of whatever. But it never shows up naked. It never shows up the stripped down, you know, absolute empty presence. It always shows up with, it, it, it projects or is a medium for what we might call experiential qualities. And this is what I call radiance. The presence is always um, a medium of infinite elaboration, infinite qualitative expression. But there's no polarity here. It's not like there's presence here and there's apparition there. If you look at the apparition, you're seeing presence. If you look at presence, you'll see apparition because they never show up individually or separately as autonomous things. So calling it radiant presence is you know, is in, 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 a, in a sense, uh, in another way, misleading. But this is inevitable because the structure of language is so ass-backwards and sloppy and, and it conforms to the actual structure of reality so poorly that the most articulate way of putting anything is going to be completely wrong. So, <laughs> so, so who gives a shit to stab at it? <coughs> so this is radiant presence. That's the whole shooting match right there. Um, but it's subtle, it's strange, it's, it's very, very, very slippery. Uh, this, as, as we all know, if you look at your experience and you've been doing this for a good long time, all the, it's, you're, you're aware how strange and slippery and, and fractal and holographic and, and um, uh, uh, 
undefinable and ungraspable all of these characteristics are. It's, it's like all these characteristics are like mirages. They appear completely obviously, but you try and pin down exactly what they are or how they are, and it, it eludes you. It disappears just when you're just when you have your fingers on the, on its throat, you know. <coughs> and so a primary quality of radiant presence is unresolvability. It cannot be found. It's completely obvious, but you can't pin it down. You can't get to the bottom of it. You can't um, say what it is. You can't, you know, get to the bottom line and say, okay, now I know it's... It, and so this unresolvability is part and parcel of radiant presence. So in, in a very profound sense, if you look very intelligently and skillfully for radiant presence and you don't find anything, you've found radiant presence. Which sounds very paradoxical, but it's absolutely true. So, you know, part of the strangeness and part of the slipperiness of this yoga is that uh, there is no end to it. There is no finish line in, in a naive, simple sense that one might that, that a, a newbie might expect. You know, oh, let's see. Well, I just I'll do the yoga and I'll find it and then I'll have it and then okay, great. You know, then I then you know then what? Then it's Miller time. But <coughs> in actuality, it's not like that. It's more like jumping off a cliff into infinite endless weirdness that just falls into infinite endless weirdness that falls into infinite endless weirdness, and that's it. That is result. That is the end. The end is endlessness. The result is resultlessness. And so coming to see, developing the subtlety and the acumen and the intelligence to come to see for yourself exactly the way that that's so, um, in contrast with our ingrained and brainwashed and um, egoic desire to, you know, to own it, to to solve it, to get to the end of it, to, you know, uh, the normal human mode of, of, you know, check it off a list and go on to the next thing, kind of, is just not appropriate. It doesn't actually work like that. And to be successful in this yoga, one has to develop this kind of subtlety to be able to perceive this. In, in, in contradistinction to one's personality urges and one's personality inclinations, um, which which will persist. You know, in practice, it's always a, a very strange property of this yoga that as one practices this yoga and as one develops um, more and more subtlety, more and more skillfulness, more and more penetrating insight and vision, one's normal dogged neurotic personality doesn't go away. You know, it's not solved. So, that, so in a way, it's a very schizophrenic kind of a condition where one's individuality persists contrary to, seemingly, and in the face of this astounding transcendental condition that is seen more and more to be comprehensively everything. And this also flies in the face of a lot of simplistic spirituality where spirituality is seen to be the antidote to the personality, the antidote to the self, to, to remove all flaws and purify all 
obscurations and all of these sorts of things. So I'm going to turn myself into a Boy Scout or something, you know, that's, that's going to, and then somehow that's going to be the important thing. But it's not actually like that. And again, this, this is to a degree, or, or maybe to a large degree, contrary to expectation and contrary to the, the ingrained inclinations of our personalities. Where, you know, we want to embody things, we want to own things, we want to, we want to, you know, be powerful, we want to be um, successful, we want to be whatever. And it's not actually like that. Uh, over dinner we were having a conversation about a, a system of rating people's realization or something. Where, I don't know what his name is. What's the guy's name? Hawking or something? Hawkins? Anyway, he, he rates people's realization on a scale of, I suppose, zero to a thousand. <laughs> Although Trump apparently several hundred, so I guess there's no zero. <laughs> but but this, again, this misses the point because radiant presence is always a thousand, and everything is radiant presence. So this is a thousand. So wherever you are, and however much of a clod you are, it's a, you're really a thousand. <laughs> you know, and if you come to see this, you hit the thousand without needing to not stop being a clod, because it's not about that. Uh, on the contrary, if you have the inclinations. To, to work for self-improvement, you're free to, and that's fine. No harm, no foul. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. It's not about that. It's about coming to see what is intrinsically the case, regardless of your actions or your non-actions. Um, and so again, this is another um, subtle, seeming, perhaps seeming contradiction of uh, naive expectations of the yoga versus the actuality. In practice, one comes to discover that the essence of the yoga is paradox. It's, it's never this or that. Which again demands um, the development of a certain sophistication, subtlety of intelligence, a toleration of, a tolerance and, and appreciation of ambiguity. Of, um, of paradox, of unresolvability, which again is um, uh, you know, somewhat alien in the in the in the human realm. <laughs> Apparently, the people that originally founded this were a contactee cult. Sort of, sort of feels like that from this room, doesn't it? All elaborate interpretations, like like contactees, or, or angelic visitations, or, or ascended masters, or any of this, fall short. They are based on the actuality of radiant presence, but they don't go far enough. They don't take it far enough. They don't they don't see unresolvability. They resolve it into some thing, some principle, the angels or the aliens or the you know, the masters or the, the this or the that. Um, whereas radiant presence does not resolve. It has it does not come to a, a specific 
manifest figurehead. It is everything and anything is its figurehead. Absolute failure is its figurehead. The chaos and, and, and randomness of human existence is the pure transcendental um, sacramental expression of radiant presence. And again, this can be a little difficult to stomach because, you know, who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want to have a nice, you know, Santa Claus figure or Jesus or, or even God to sort of, oh, I found it is there. You know. And yet, Radiant Presence is even better because it's actual. And it's right here. You already have it. I mean, what could be cooler than that? <laughs> so, um, over the next several days, we'll be looking at this from many, many different angles. It, there's infinite ramifications. And in particular, um, the most important thing about this yoga is it is not an objective um, philosophy or principle to try to adopt yourself to. It is looking at the reality of your own experience and seeing the way it is this and grappling with the ways it seems to not be this. And that's, that's always your knife edge. That's the cutting edge of the yoga of, you know, when you see something that seems to be something, then that's an invitation to look closer until you see it isn't. Because there's nothing here. There is actually, literally, nothing here. Not that, not that any of this is negated. There's just no, none of this to negate. It looks as if there's all of this crazy shit happening, but it's not really like that. There's actually, literally, physically, and metaphysically, nothing here whatsoever. And so anytime anything looks like something, seems to have an anchor of thingness to it, or of importance to it, then that is right there, your target, to take your, take your yoga gun out. And <laughs> um, the mechanism of delusion the reason for needing yoga in the first place is interpretation um, basically it's a narrative that exists in one's imagination telling yourself a story of what's happening what things are um, now, this narrative in itself is not particularly powerful and not particularly problematic. In fact, it's largely amusing. We do this all the time. The mind's continually talking to itself, you know, saying this and saying that and spouting bullshit or having insight or whatever. And that's sort of an ongoingly the case. Um, I forgot what I started saying. That's embarrassing. About delusion. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Delusion. Um, so this, this narrative, this interpretive framework that the mind continually, spontaneously spins out without cessation, ever, 
um, is the, the is the basis of the problem. But that's not really the problem. The problem is not interpretive frameworks. The problem is not these narrations. The problem is belief in the narrations. And belief is insidious because it happens unconsciously. We don't do it on purpose. And when we're doing it, we don't even know we're doing it. Belief settles like a concrete anchor. And things seem to be a certain way. And you, you have a knowing that they are that way. And someone comes to you and, and suggests that maybe they're not that way, and you sort of laugh either internally or externally because you know they're full of shit because it is like that way. And this is a symptom of belief. Now, beliefs are uh, challenging to chip away with, because they're, chip away at, because they're not amenable to logic, they're not amenable to argument. Um, you know, most people, if I said there's nothing here, there we go, ha <laughs> right, yeah. But there's literally nothing here. I know there's nothing here. And it's actually not that hard to know there's nothing here. But you have to see the way that that's so, self-verifyingly, and then you know that there's nothing here. But typically, for most people, I suppose, they know there is something here. And they know what it is, and they know what's good about it or bad about it, and they know what's important about it, and they know what they think about it, and they know what ought to be done about it, and there's this whole incredible um, backlog or deluge of, of um, implication and, and narrative and whole worldviews about everything. You know, it's like a political view, you know. If you're a liberal, you know everything about everything, you know how it ought to be and why isn't it that way. And if you're conservative, the same thing. And if you're a nutcase contactee, same thing. And if you're anything, same thing. And all of that is nothing other than belief. And belief is in interpretive frameworks which are fictions. There's no such thing as a true interpretation. There's no such thing as an accurate interpretation because radiant presence is unresolvable. It cannot be interpreted. It cannot be, you can't say what anything is. And yet, the whole bread and butter, the whole nuts and bolts of interpretation is saying what things are. And then belief, that sinks down to belief, and then that becomes knowing what things are. And then you're, you know, you're, you're lost, uh, as we say in the trade. <laughs> I mean, not literally, of course. Because none of this is actually anything. None of this is even here. It's like, it's like, it's rather like um, a bad dream. It has no importance whatsoever because it's just a dream who gives a shit. So a lifetime of delusion and suffering is nothing. And seeing through it is nothing. But for those that have the perverse inclination to want to see through it, it is possible. And this is where yoga comes in. These belief systems are impossible to work on because they're not amenable to argument. They're not amenable to anything because they know. And anything you show them, you're wrong unless it reinforces the belief. And even if it is wrong, it will reinforce the belief because the belief will claim it and, and have its way with it. So it's useless in yoga to approach this investigation in terms of trying to address or correct or fix the beliefs, which at root 
are the problem. Um, however, fortunately, you don't need to. You don't need to fix beliefs. It's much simpler than that. You explore your experience until you come to see the way that it actually is. And the way that it actually, as you, as you accumulate a, a, a sort of backlog of noticing how this actually is, noticing what radiant presence is actually like, your beliefs will spontaneously um, lighten. They will spontaneously dissipate in terms of the urgency or the importance with which you hold them. Um, because what you discover when you look at what your experience actually consists of entirely contradicts what the beliefs hold to be true, entirely contradicts the content of the beliefs. So you basically render the beliefs irrelevant without ever addressing the beliefs. So the most practical way to approach yoga is entirely positively. You don't try to remedy anything. You don't try and solve anything. You don't try and chip away at anything that's problematic. On the contrary, just go to the, you know, accentuate the positive. You know, go to the radiance itself and let it show you what it is. And it's fairly easy to learn to see this. And as you come to see this, um, you will, it, it will, it's like a, it's like a, uh, an old-fashioned uh, equal-arm scales. The, you know, right now the beliefs are down here and radiance is somewhere, but up here, if anywhere. And basically, the, as you accumulate more and more experience of the nature of radiance and the nature of what your experience actually is, they go like this, and eventually it hits the point where it goes, Whoop! and then the radiance has the center of gravity, and your beliefs are irrelevant. They, they may or may not stop, you may still be a liberal asshole or, or, or whatever, but you don't give a, you won't give a shit because that'll just be an echo. They have this wonderful image that I've heard in, um, in, in Eastern spiritual philosophy of the, the, the burnt rope, you know. You have a rope, you burn it, it still looks like the same rope, but it won't bear any weight. And that's a wonderful image for qualities of personality and, and, and orientations and beliefs and all the things that, that we as an individual are made of um, in the face of radiant presence. It doesn't necessarily disappear, it doesn't go away, but it, 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 it ceases its relevance. It, it, become, it, it's, it becomes completely unimportant. Um, because in actuality it is unimportant, and as you become more and more familiar with what is actually here, with what you actually are, and the way it is that, then that overwhelmingly outweighs and invalidates any relevance, all of this, this silly um, individuality uh, may seem to have. <coughs> so the practice of yoga is entirely, the efficient practice of yoga is entirely about looking at the nature of radiant presence, which is um, in, in simple terms, means looking at your experience. Looking at your experience. How does your experience work? Um, your experience does not work the way you're used to thinking of it as working. And it's very easy to notice that. And over the course of the next few days, we'll be looking at this and various techniques and aspects of this in great depth. Um, but 
superficially, or initially I can say, for example, only the present moment exists. It's completely obvious experientially. This. It's always this. It's never that. It's always now. It's never then. There's no past. Past is a, past is a fantasy you have now. Future is a fantasy you have now. History is a fantasy you have now. So this is completely obvious. Everyone knows this. Every, every one-year-old knows that it's only the present moment. You know, we get beaten and brainwashed into all of this elaboration and history and cause and effect and all of this stuff, which doesn't actually exist. Um, uh, and then we buy it. You know, it, it, it sinks into our belief system and then, then we're stuck in it. We're stuck in time. I'm stuck in history. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a creature of, you know, the evolution of humanity out of the glades into this, this hellish self-destructing civilization we live in. But all of that is an entire fantasy, and it's just not true. Because this now is all there is. And this is very easy to see. So this is an a, a, a excellent contact point for yoga. Again, presence, is a, which is essentially the same thing. All of these supposed aspects of, of radiant presence converge because there are no separate aspects to radiant presence. It has, its, it has its nature, it is what it is, and these aspects are like myths of it, but they are poignant myths because they converge into it. So, so looking at now is all that there is. There is, you can't not find anything other than now. Here is all that there is. You cannot find anywhere other than here. Where's New York right now? It's a thought. There's no New York. You know, where's where's the the lunchroom right now? It doesn't exist. It's a thought. Um, oh no, it's not. It's what you do. And that's belief talking. But the evidence of experience does not support that. The evidence of experience is, if you're not experiencing it, it doesn't exist. Um, and we're very familiar with this from dreams. We, we, get, we accord the waking state a privileged um, condition where the waking state is real, the waking state has duration, the waking state has history. In dreams, things come and go and they bootstrap themselves up out of nothing and they generate their own backstory in real time and all of this is completely obvious, at least when you wake up or you're lucid. When you're lost in the dream, of course, you know, you're... And here we are in a waking state lost in a dream. And yet, if you look at the evidence experientially, it's exactly the same. There is, the backstories come now. They don't, there's no backstory over there that's accumulating to now. The backstories all are generated now. The future anticipations are generated now. Other locations are generated now. So all of this stuff is generated now, here, and of course, and experientially, all you can find is now and here, right? I mean, duh. Um, now, even though that's self-evident, the potency of that and the implication of that is easily lost on someone who has not had that pointed out to them. Because, you know, well, of course, there's, there's, you know, there's here and there's now, but there's all this other stuff that's out there, you know, and I know it's there, it's waiting. If I, if I went to New York, it would be there, you know, and blah, blah. 
Okay, great, you know, that's, that sounds wonderful, but it's actually not like that. But to, but to come to see the way that it's not like that, you have to see for yourself. Otherwise, it just sounds like another wacko theory. <coughs> so this stuff is absolutely useless as philosophy. It only becomes powerful and becomes vital when it is seen for yourself. So yoga is always an individual activity. It's a, it's a first-person activity. It's an activity that you do. Or not. And yet, strangely, all experience is yoga. The, the nice thing about the yoga of radiant presence is you can't not do it. You've always been doing it. The very, the self-engagement of consciousness with, with experience that, that, it, that constitutes your experience and that has always been your experience is the mechanism of the yoga of radiant presence and is in fact, radiant presence dancing with itself, which is the mechanism of yoga of radiant presence. And since that is the case, it's possible to see that that's the case and discover that's the case, at which, at which time that invalidates anything contrary to that being the case, and that will be clearly seen to be based on fantasy and interpretation, whereas this is not a fantasy. This presence here is not a thought, it's not a fantasy, it's undeniable, it is self-verifying. This radiance, all of these apparent characteristics, they're not a fantasy, they're not a theory or a philosophy, they're, it's a self-verifying actuality. Radiant presence is actual, and actuality is what is powerful. Actuality alone is powerful. And radiant presence alone is actual. So. Cool. <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> so it's really just a kind of a reality check of exploring more subtly and more precisely exactly what is actual and um, which will invalidate what you're used to thinking of as being actual but doesn't stand up to scrutiny, doesn't stand up to experiential observation. <clears throat> Um, and there's many, many um, other aspects to this that we will be going into. I'd like to touch on um, a couple of very, very powerful points um, uh, about radiant presence, about this yoga. Um, first of all, I'm sure you've noticed in the course of discussion that where you look for radiant presence is in your experiential field. Now, in actual fact, what we call, what we might call the experiential field, or what you call your experience, is the totality of reality. There's nothing but your experience, which is contrary to the normal worldview, of course, where your experience is some small byproduct of your body, you know, some offshoot of of your of your of your biophysical system and your central nervous system or something, and this body is existing in the space world. In actual fact, it's it's not like that at all. In actual fact, all that exists is your experience, and the world appears in it. Other people appear in it. Everything and anything that seems to exist seems to appear appears in it in your experience. So your experiential field 
is the totality of reality. Not just figuratively or metaphorically, but literally, physically. Now, an interesting corollary of that is if you look closely at your experience, you're the only one seeing it. You're the only one looking at your experience. And you are the only being that exists. You alone exist. And everything else and everyone else that seems to exist is just an apparition within your experience. Now, obviously, this is very counter to the normal worldview. But I strongly recommend um, you notice the fact of this. <clears throat> so this is the first principle I want to touch upon. And of course, we'll be going back to this at great length. The second principle is the principle of context. Anything whatsoever that seems to be present is always present in a context that is other than it. So no matter what is present, there's always more present, and the more is different, utterly and completely different than what seems to be present. So suppose you're thinking, okay, then thought is present. But when thought is present, there is a, a, a literal infinity of non-thought present that is the context for the thought to be present. Let's suppose vision is present. Here's, here's the field of your vision, right? It's sort of a fuzzy-edged, sideways, oval, floating in the experiential field, right? So that's here, but there is an infinity that is non-vision, that is always the context that your vision is appearing in. So whatever there is, it is always small relative to a vastness that is other than it, that, um, that is um, different than it, that is radically and fundamentally um, uh, diverges from it. Um, which, which touches on one of the principles of radiant presence that is obvious and very easy to discover, is that radiant presence is infinitely differentiated within itself. In other words, anywhere you look within your experiential field, you will find difference. If whatever you, if you see something here, then everything else that you see is going to be different than that, other than that, you know. And, and as you see something here, there's thoughts other than that, and sound is other than that, just other, an infinity of otherness to whatever is present. Uh, specifically, this is not, I don't mean theoretically, I mean very, very specifically. So, um, at any instant, or at the instant, because there's only one, but, but let's just use a common conceptualization now, at any instant, your experience is precisely the way it is. You're experiencing exactly what you experience now when you experience it. Your experience is made of specifics. It's completely, everything in your experience, experiential field is precisely the way it is in the instant. And it is all infinitely different from itself, from, from everything else that is present. So there's no, you'll never find um, two apparitions that have any, that are the same. Always different, an, an infinity of differentiation. And yet, even though the radiance always presents as infinitely differentiated, it never departs from itself. It never becomes anything else. It's always just this radiant presence. So it's, again, it's very, very paradoxical um, flavor to it, because infinite differentiation of something that 
never becomes anything else. It never becomes different from itself. So these two principles, the principle of, of context and the principle of um, your experience and that it is, and that you, you alone exist, you alone are um, the experience of your experience. You, will, you are the sole existent being, the sole existent consciousness in reality, um, are very powerful. And they are, are um, they are both, especially the second one, of course, very contrary to a normal consensus reality worldview. Um, the point of all this, what realization looks like, is the discovery of that the entirety of your reality, the entirety of your being is an inclusive, comprehensive, essentially like a bubble that's floating in infinity, unsupported by anything, not dependent upon anything, beyond space and time. And space and time and all of these conditions appear within it. And not as an abstraction, not as a, a philosophical idea, but that's right here, right now, what this is. And it's, it's a felt actuality. And coming to see the truth of this, I mean, to see precisely and comprehensively that this is that, that you are that, um, is very much what realization feels like. Um, so what you are is this bubble of your being, of your reality, of your experiential field, independent of anything. It does everything. It's not being done by anything else. So it's absolutely independent, supremely independent, and um, free, no strings attached, floating in itself, um, doing itself, with no implications, no winning and losing, no gaining and loss, no upsides or downsides. And this is literally the fact, right here, right now, and always. And um, this is what all of this, you know, all these aspects and so on that we've been discussing is about coming to see, coming to feel, coming to know. Um, so, that being so, <clears throat> many of the most profound and efficient aspects of yoga is just feeling the presence of your experiential field and feeling how everything is in it. And yet you're not in it. Your body may be in it, your personality may be in it, but what's seeing it? Where is it? It's seeing itself, and all of this, it's like movies or dreams, occurring within it, but it, the bubble itself, is not subject to what appears in it. So what appears in it is completely irrelevant one way or the other. It doesn't matter. Nothing is gained. Nothing is lost. Nothing hangs on what it looks like. The only thing that's important is what it is, and that is inviolable. That is pristine and pure and independent and absolutely transcendental, beyond space and time, beyond causality, and besides which there's nothing else other than it in existence, 
to, to, to cause problems anyway. <laughs> so th in, a, in a certain sense, this is the bottom line uh, of all of this. Um, and because this is true, because this is actual, because it's actually like that, this is powerful. I mean, to see this is powerful. Even playing with this is powerful. Um, so, so as I said, um, a very direct, you know, the short path in a certain sense is just feeling the inclusiveness of the bubble of your experiential field and noticing how everything whatsoever is in it and how there's no one there but you. Not in a narcissistic, egoic sense, and just in the sense that you are it, and it alone exists. Orientation is delusion. Confusion is the truth. You cannot ever know what's going on. You cannot ever know where you are. You cannot ever know what's happening. It's always open-ended question marks. Whenever there's an orientation where things seem to be a certain way, that's a, a red flag that, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm supplying this. I'm, I'm creating a version of things and then I'm buying into it. I, I bought my own bill of goods. So, um, confusion is the true state. The true state is confusion. Which is rather counterintuitive in terms of consensus reality where you're supposed to have a clue. You're supposed to, you know, know what's going on. You're supposed to... <laughs> but in actuality, that is the problem, not the solution. Um, and effective practice of the yoga will remedy that. <laughs> so if you're not confused yet, with any luck you will be soon. <laughs> now in terms of practices, there's a, there's a bunch of practices and... The essence of practice of this yoga is to explore your experience and notice the ways in which it is different than you're used to holding it to be, just as an overarching principle. Another thing I can say about practice of this yoga, this yoga works very intrinsically. It works sort of under the table. So you don't, it's very powerful, but you don't necessarily notice that anything's happening. So the trick is to just groove on it, just play with it, and don't, ex don't have any expectations. Just do it, and you'll be very surprised before long when um, things start shifting for you. Uh, but it's not necessarily self-evident at the time that that's in the cards. Because again, the way this works is, this is, um, what's the word, there's a nice word for that. Anyway. Not important. <laughs> I'm losing my use of language. One day I'm going to come out here and go, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I'm kind of doing that now, aren't I? Okay. Exercises, practices. So, here's a, here's a wonderful practice. Um, and the point of this practice is, typically we're, we're very used to looking at the conditions that we're looking at. So, you know, you might be used to looking at this room and all the people here and the chairs and the carpet and all the stuff around. But you're, what you're actually looking at is 
your experience. But typically we don't notice that we're looking at experience, we think we're looking at the stuff. We bypass the experience. So experience, in a certain sense, is like a perfectly clear window that you're looking through. A better, a better image is a perfectly clear TV screen on which all sorts of images are appearing. But we go to the images, typically. We, don't, we ignore the TV, and, and, we, and to the point where we don't even know it's there. Now, this is a very simple exercise, and it's fun, but it's subtle. All, all, the, all the exercises, all the practices in this area are subtle. You have to play with them to learn how to do them. And they're not mechanical or mechanistic or simple, where you just you know, do this or move that way or, or say this or something like that. So, um, you notice I pulled back the curtains. So this practice, um, try this. So just relax and lay, look outside the window at something that's out there. And don't, don't, try not to have your eyes move around. Just sort of, don't, don't force it or hold it or be stiff, but just gaze steadily at, at a spot and just feel the whole, like maybe you're looking at the bushes, just sort of feel the whole bush. And then without shifting your eyes, become aware of the glass. Don't shift your eyes, don't look away, look right where you were looking. And then shift again. Now become aware of the bush again where you were looking. Without shifting your eyes. And then switch it again, then become aware of the glass. And you, you can sort of flip that around a bunch of times just to get a feel for it. And notice what the bushes are like when you're aware of the glass. They're, they're a little, they have a little different flavor than when you're orienting to the bushes themselves. And you, okay, so that's practice one. You just experiment with that. And again, don't have high expectations that anything's going to happen. But this is profound. And of course, and uh, another variation of this same practice is watch a TV show. And just watch it the way you usually do when you're paying attention to the show, a movie, whatever. And then, and then shift again and be, be aware of the TV or a computer if you're watching on your computer screen, say. And then shift again and orient to the show and then you're with the show and the characters and what's happening. Then shift again to the screen with images appearing on it. And do that same thing. To, to, you're training yourself to notice the difference between the medium and the objects that you're, that you're thinking of yourself, you feel like you're focusing on. <coughs> because what's really here is experience. There's no objects here. But of course, ordinarily, we completely ignore experience. Experience is just a given. It's just transparent. It's not even, well, sure, I'm experiencing theoretically, but really it's about the stuff. But, but that's, that's not true in actuality. The only thing that's here is the experience itself, and the objects appear in it very strangely. When you become aware, when you become more aware of the experience, then the way the objects are becomes more, more clear. Because in that context, the objects aren't being held so rigidly as objectively existing, and you begin to notice their ghostly nature and the way that they come and go and are dynamic. And, and drift in and out and morph and so on and so forth.
So this is a training in noticing the medium rather than the objects that you're maybe used to um, focusing on or oriented to. Any questions about that? Is it, does that seem clear enough? And you can play with it with movies, you can play with it with TV, you can play with it with, you know, um, windows. And, and then ultimately you play with the experience itself. And then wherever you are, it's like, okay, I'm looking at this room, I'm looking at you while I'm talking to you. Okay, now I'm looking at my experience. You haven't gone anywhere, but you're just images showing up in that. And then you can switch it back. And it's very interesting when this happens. It's very interesting to play with this. It's a subtle thing. But again, it has a potency that will surprise you in the long run. It's very much a challenge to me presenting this stuff in the true spirit in which it is what it is. Because there's nothing to present. What matters and what's important and what this is all about is what's already the case, what's already right here. And the less said about it, the better. As soon as you say anything about it or think anything about it, you're piling bullshit on. You're piling complications, needless, pointless complications on. Um, so the, the optimum retreat would be no retreat at all. <laughs> but then somehow that might miss the point. <laughs> in practicality, so you know, so it's always a, a kind of a, a Zen conundrum. How to, for me, how to do these things without doing? I have to do something so people think something's being done. <laughs> but I don't want to do anything because it's just going to confuse the issue. You know, um, it's really this is so profoundly about what is already the case, what's already happening. Like we were saying in breakfast this morning, you know, the ultimate teaching is just be yourself, which is already obviously the case. So, um, you know, so I really want to, we've talked about a lot of things from a lot of angles and a lot of subtleties and all that over the last couple of days. And I really want to emphasize, um, you know, not to let yourself get caught up in all of this anything, all of this, you know, if there's any, all of this, just like, fuck it, you know, forget about it, because it's, it's beside the point. I mean, it's fine, it doesn't hurt, you, 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 you know, have, have at it, you know, for, you know, play with whatever you want to play with, but it's, um, it's not what's powerful. What's powerful is what is intrinsic, and what's intrinsic, of course, is already intrinsic, so you don't need to put what's intrinsic in here, obviously, or it wouldn't be intrinsic. <laughs> um, this the, the overwhelming essence of this in practice is that there's absolutely nothing to get and absolutely nothing to lose and more specifically and more powerfully, it's impossible to gain anything that matters, and it's impossible to lose anything that matters. Um, in, in normal human orientation, we're obsessed with, you know, achieving our goals and avoiding our pitfalls and finding pleasure and inducting pain and so on and so forth, all of which is fine. But that's... Um, 
that's irrelevant. It's fine. By all means, you know, try and get as much pleasure as you can, try and avoid as much pain as you can. I mean, hell, why not, right? Um, or vice versa, if you're that kind. <laughs> if you're that perverse. <laughs> um, but, but what is intrinsic, what is here, is not added to by your success and is not diminished by your failure. Um, there's no doing it right or doing it wrong. It already, it, it already is the particle is the end of the rainbow. It already is the finish line. And it's right here and this is it. And it doesn't need to be augmented or made into something. Um, one of the real fruits of yoga, as you, as you play with this stuff and just settle into this weirdness, one of the fruits of this yoga is the discovery of what it feels like to be invulnerable. You have, there's literally, it's impossible to lose anything. I mean, it's very much, you know, it, it's a perfect analogy uh, to go back to it, and I'll, I reiterate this over and over, with the analogy of a dream. Um, you know, when you're in a dream and you know, you're know you struggling and you're trying to do this or trying to run away from that or whatever, but then, you know, you're lucid or something, you realize that you're dreaming, and it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not, nothing that matters, nothing that's actual is affected by what happens in the dream. Success doesn't improve the dream, failure doesn't diminish the dream. And this is exactly the same way. And as, as, you know, as the Tibetans call it, a sign of warmth in the, the progression of your yoga, the progression of your unfoldment, is, is, is a, the arising of a palpable sense of of freedom from vulnerability. You know, I mean, you, you, your, you know, your personality is still, you know, playing its games and chasing after whatever, and, you know, so on and so forth. You're, you know, you're, you're trying to keep your body healthy or avoid pain or whatever, so on and so forth. All that's ongoing. But it doesn't affect one iota what you actually are, what this actually is. And this becomes clearer and clearer as a felt, palpable sense of just sort of lightness, freedom, um, joy. Uh, carelessness. Whatever, you know, it's all good. Um, and this arises because it's true. It's just, it's actually that way. And as, as familiarity with this strange condition um, grows through, you know, just through the, the intelligent engagement that this is, this yoga is, um, this becomes more and more obvious. And it's nice because that, even that, you don't have to get, you already have it. And the discovery is such a joy because it's really true, you know, and, and 
it doesn't need to be protected or preserved. It, you can't make, you couldn't make it not that way if you wanted to. You know, your, your greatest efforts could not make anything matter. It, it couldn't happen. Um, and this, again, this becomes clearer and clearer um, as, as this develops. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, the essential paradox of practice of yoga is it doesn't matter, you don't even need to do it. And that is the doing of it. Doing it with this that is already here. You're already here, you're already living your life, you're already you know, giving it your all, whatever in whatever way that your your all is available to give <laughs> intrinsically, um, and and that is the very process of, of you. Know, um, you obviously have proclivities to um, actual achievement and development in this area. You wouldn't even be here. I mean, go to a, a fucking retreat, you know, for this this idiot who's going to babble all this weird shit for three days. Who would do that? You know, you're already a maniac. <laughs> so, and and that and that mania in itself is the impetus of, of the yoga. It's already it's already it's already happening. It's already doing it, and it's not about well, how do we do it? You know, what's the structure? It's just like no, that that impetus is the yoga, and it. It's like water, it finds the cracks and seeps into it and goes where it goes to the, to the right place. <clears throat> but, um, you know, um, be wary of getting needlessly sucked into extra structures, extra terminologies, extra, you know, worldviews, because it'd be, because, not because they're, uh, bad or a problem, but just because they're completely irrelevant and superfluous, and it's really easy to get caught up in, you know, the notion that, you know, there's something there that is something. <laughs> and, and you know, you can waste lifetimes just <laughs> chasing your own tail in that kind of a context. Um, it's, it's about what is real and what is already, this, this, just this, you know, just plain fucking this. Um, period. You know, well, whatever you talk about, whatever you don't talk about, it's already, it's already in here. Mm -mm. That's enough pep talk for the morning. Um, any anyone have anything you'd like to talk about? Like more on. Um you said yet last night, I believe, that it's in feelings. Um, in a perhaps, I don't know if you do more or a different way than thought, uh, more apparent in feelings? Is that what you're Not talking? feelings, feeling. Feeling. Feeling, textual presence. Call it, calling it textual presence in the broadest possible sense. In other words, don't be too precious by what you mean by texture. But the, the, the irrational, immediate presence of all of these rich qualities that are 
present ubiquitously in the entire experiential field. Anywhere you go, there's just, wow, you know, there's, there's um, stuff, flavors. And um, just feeling that, because all of these flavors are not just inert, objective, dull, lifeless. They are pure intelligence. They are infinitely pregnant with meaning, and they communicate their own meaningfulness irrationally just by their presence. So just feeling the texture of your experience, looking at light, looking at color, hearing sound, you know, feel the texture of thought. You know, don't, don't waste your time following too much what thought pretends to be a backwards, it's all bullshit. Just the textural presence of thought, you know, the textural presence of the space that thought occurs in anything, anything, anywhere, it doesn't matter where you go. It's an infinity of transcendental information. And just by feeling it, it downloads, it like downloads it, what it is to you, because you already are actually that. And so you come to recognize that you're that through this download, entirely irrationally, and entirely illogically, and entirely non-conceptually. Um, so in a sense, you know, the practice of yoga, of yoga is basically hedonism, enjoying your experience anywhere whatsoever within the experiential field. And do thoughts get in the way? No. Of, they are it too, but maybe if you're feeling overwhelmed with thought, go for the feeling, feeling yeah. deeper? Is that a yes, you can, you can definitely do that. Thought is not actually a problem, but it can seem to be problematic um, in, let's say, um, relatively earlier phases of the yoga. Because, mainly because we're so used to being seduced into the supposed content of thought. We're so used to following the narrative. Um, so thought can be challenging. Um, it's, it's best to just to to um, ramp up practice with, with um, where it's easy, where it's clearest that it's just an amazing texture and, and you have no clue what's going on. Anything that, that, you, that, you, that where you think, seem to think you already know what's going on with it is more problematic and more challenging. So go to something that's relatively meaningless and has, has no charge or importance to you. And just feel the texture of what's there. And, and you will discover this curious potency, this curious palpable something, you know. And and you know the conscious mind will be looking at it and saying, "This is kind of weird, but you know, what's, this is nothing. What you know?" But you just do that. You just sort of feel this, feel this, this, this strange texture, and it it reveals itself. It shows what it is. It sort of communicates its. It's irrational intelligence, it's irrational meaningfulness. Um, and as you build up skillfulness and sensitivity at being able to sort of tune into that, let's say, or recognize that, then in areas which are more problematic, which seem to be something, or, and then perhaps the high water mark thought itself, you'll be able to go to thought and see that thought isn't actually thought, thought is a textual presence. You know, thought pretends to be the ideas that, that it pretends to be. But thought isn't actually that. Thought is a textual presence. You know, you can tell you're thinking because thought is present. And 
if there wasn't something, if it wasn't a substance, so to speak, present, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't have anything to know you're thinking of. So the the the, the concept sort of masquerade as a Trojan horse buried in the texture to the point where they distract you from even noticing there is a texture and then eventually we just jump to the concepts. But in actual fact, thought is like a light show. Substantially, the substance of thought, what thought is made of, is a, is, is, is a, you know, more like the northern lights or something. And that itself is a texture that can be felt. But again, that's kind of relative to high watermark because we're so used to being seduced into ignoring that and jumping right to the content.